0: Hey, folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkoff, and today I'm sitting down with leadership of Modern Times Group to discuss their corporate strategy. Now, Modern Times Group, or MTG, is one of the top consolidators in the industry. They've acquired companies like Hutch, InnoGames, ESL, and a few other ones. They're publicly listed in the Stockholm Stock Exchange, just like Steelfront, EG7, and Embracer, and just like Steelfront, EG7 and Embracer, they also refer to their consolidation activities as building a family. Their growth strategy is built around acquiring resilient game studios who have operated over years through the turmoil of the market. And these acquired companies are usually mid to small size and without exception, also profitable. What makes them different compared to many you know, other consolidators is that they don't offer any central resources, not you know, like Zynga, Aplavin, or Platika and they also stand out because they want the founders to continue not only heading the company but also helping to grow the family of companies now i personally find this subject of you know quote unquote families in the context of business fascinating as it's a stark contrast to to the uh, we're a sports team, not a family approach of American corporations. I want to thank Arne Benninghoff and Charlton Rutland for joining the podcast and discussing their strategy openly. And I want to thank you for tuning in week after week, month after month, year after year. And and I want to thank you for all the feedback that you're sending. And then please, please do keep sending that feedback. It really helps to improve the podcast. And yeah, without further ado, shout out to our fantastic sponsors Facebook, Iron Source, and Apps Flyer. I think what's What's become clearer, certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zaloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward dof for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift, with the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solutions build built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, increman- with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsliers.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I got two amazing guests, Arnd Benninghoff, EVP for Esports and Games at MTG, also chairman of the board at Congregate, board member at Inno Games, and chairman of the board at ESL. Welcome, Arndt. Hi, Mikhay. Thanks for having me. Of course. And then um, CEO of Hutch, Sean Rutland, founded and ran Hutch for the past 10 years before, before that, producer at Lionhead and PlayStation. Sean, I feel like I need to say welcome back because I've known you for for a few years now, but welcome for the first time,
1: Sean. Hey man, how's it going?
0: So awesome to have you guys here and we're gonna talk about MTG and and especially Hutch that was acquired by MTG about a year ago. Uh, I'd like to kick it off to talk about MTG's mission and strategy. And Arndt, can you briefly introduce for those in the audience who are not familiar with MTG? Like what is MTG? Yes, sure. So,
2: Modern Times Group, uh, known as a classic broadcasting group with free TV, pay TV. Um, and we have built up over the last seven years a gaming entertainment portfolio comprising an esports business and a games business. And we are a listed company at the NASDAQ in Stockholm. But then we have split back in 2019, the group, and now modern times group stands for gaming entertainment with leading brands on the esports side like ESL and DreamHack. And the game side, we're pursuing a buy and build strategy and trying to find great entrepreneurs who want to join the family. Sean is one of them. And then we have InnoGames. We have Congregate, Ninja Kiwi. These are the leading games companies within the games vertical of MTG.
0: So, uh, and then you also have a VC uh, investing into VR, AR, esports, you got tech as well as content.
2: Yes. So, more like a side project, we have a VC fund investing really only in games and esports companies. We have two LP positions, one in Play Ventures and the other one in BitCraft. Uh, we have done 22 investments, uh, and they are giving us access to early stage companies promising new
0: studios and technologies. Do you see being an LP in Bitcraft and Play Ventures as, as almost like an early funnel to your uh, growth of your portfolio? Or is that the other uh, strategy there?
2: Yes, exactly. So one thing is uh, funnel early access. The other aspect is learning. And third aspect is relationship building. As you know, this is all about great great relationships. I think there's also foundation of the partnership with uh, Sean and Hutch. So it simply gives us really access to people, products, and technologies.
0: Got it. Makes total makes sense. So since we're talking about MA and, and kind of like this, um, I would say, inorganic growth through acquisitions and, and broadening the portfolio with new companies, uh, the 2020 was was a pretty crazy year. Like There was a lot of influx of capital. The games business benefited a ton from lockdowns and this, you know, to some extent, continuing to benefit benefit from that. And that led, of course, to a lot of acquisitions. And those acquisitions led to further growth of public companies, you know, uh, other companies in like Stockholm Stock Exchange, like Stillfront, Embracer, EG7, all made big investments as you guys, uh, and the stock price rewarded you for, the, for that growth. Uh, Arne, can you talk a little bit about your m and strategy? Because the companies that you have currently, uh, Inno, Congregate, Hutch, ESL, are quite different. Uh, so how do you see this portfolio building?
2: Yes, they are quite different from a genre perspective, but when you look at the entrepreneurs behind the companies, they're pretty similar. So we are really looking here for highly passionate, long-term oriented entrepreneurs because they make the difference. We want to build a family of entrepreneurs. We call it a bit the Swedish family model. So that's why the cultural fit and um, let's say alignment on values we want to build together, it's highly important. And we are still very selective is really a handpicked group of entrepreneurs and for us during a process and Sean might talk about this later it's super important that we connect the entrepreneurs because they are our testament they can talk about mpg as a as a shareholder um, and that's why yeah this the sub factor of their vision and drivenness it's super important to us
0: Is that a little bit of a Swedish model? Because Stillfront talks about family a lot. Embracer talks about a family a lot. And then on the other side of the pond, uh, when we think about like Californian businesses and Americans, they talk about team. It's all about team. It's never about the family. So I have to ask, like, why families? Like, why why is the Swedish companies all about family? And I understand, like, I'm I'm close to Sweden. I understand the... um, the social democratic approach to seeing everything as a, as a big community, but I'll let you explain.
2: <laughs> yeah, actually me being a German, I've all the while to talk about Swedish family models and actually we can take some pride in, in being the first. We having introduced this portfolio by build strategy based on a family model. So as a German, i really appreciate in the Swedish culture and how they build companies that they put entrepreneurs first. And it's about consensus you know, as a German, you're used to go to a meeting, a short discussion, then you take a decision, and then you execute, you know, it's a big difference, I had to learn it, that you might take another meeting, onboard everyone, and make sure everyone feels happy, and that you're nice in a meeting, and share the same values, and they not only talk about values, they really live the values, and that's a big difference, and in a family, yeah, everyone is different, yeah, you can have conflicts, but in the end, you grow together as a family, and it's a a very emotional moment, I would say. And um, now I'm with MPG since seven years, and still this family model attracts me. I think it's really differentiator. Team, yeah, but I would rather emphasize the U.S. approach also means they're building corporate structures. And here, for me, success as if Sean is still around in five, six years and still happy. So that's how I measure my success.
0: I understand. I understand. I'm, I, I've i been in both cultures and, and German culture is actually closer to Finnish culture when you come into the meeting and you make decisions. Meetings are for decisions and not for conversation. And in fact, even though we're neighbors to Sweden, their conversational culture is something that tends to drive Finns a little bit crazy. Uh, so, so I understand both sides. But Sean, how do you feel being a part of the family? Like, is this so different compared like you're, I think, if I'm correct, you're a Kiwi that is living in, in UK.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I moved over about 21 years ago. But I, you know, I wouldn't say I truly understand New Zealand culture in terms of working culture versus English culture. I guess my, my working career is growing up in, in the UK. I think um, what Anne's talking about is one of the major sort of attractive reasons why we joined. Because I feel like when we were selling Hush, we still had a lot of like really big things that we needed to do. We needed to find partners that were empathetic towards what we're trying to achieve and really really be helpers and growth rather than meddlers. Um, so and and it's funny I wrote down some notes this morning about and I used the word family as well instead of team. So um so it's it is an authentic sort of family of people trying to work together to 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 do their best work really. So
0: can you talk about a little bit about joining uh, joining MTG? I'm sure as you were going through this process in 2020 uh, and this and probably started in 2019 already. There is a lot of different companies that were interested in Hutch because you've been out there for 10 years. Uh, you've been making tons of really cool racing games, some of them successful, some of them less successful, but really shown the grit and the improvement over the time. Why did you decide to go with MTG? Uh, like why, why MTG versus you know all the other ones that were most likely there bidding?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the process was pretty interesting. So I think you're always... As as a VC invested business, you've always got your eye on the fact that at some point you're going to have a an exit moment with um, with someone. So for me, it, like this is my favorite job. This is I've created this. Well, I feel very fort- fortunate and lucky to have have the role that I do and work with the people that I do. So I wasn't just looking to sell the business for money for myself. I was like. I want to be here for a very, very long time. So I was really looking for a place that I could still grow myself personally, learn things, um, work with people that can help us figure out problems we haven't quite figured out yet. And through the process, I think we met about 12 different businesses. And you got to remember, we, we thought about doing the process in February, and then suddenly COVID hit. So I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I, you know, I want to, heads down, look after the team it's a really weird moment when you take your team from you know we had a hybrid work from home policy but then we went full time the pandemic just felt like like the unknown so i put the put the process on hold for about three months and then i realized in june actually this pandemic's going to go on for quite a while so um so we had to make the decision to do it via zoom which was a you know really interesting way to to get to meet people but that actually provided some other interesting aspects to the process and and who to choose and who not to. The The most interesting part from MTG's point of view and why they stood out was their first call. They didn't bring 25 people to the call, which for me, I started to learn was a sign that a business had a lot of layers and a lot of people that needed to make choices and decisions. And then Arne kicked off the call by telling a, an interesting story about Harry's, you know, like like Harry's family's doing with with COVID, and how he bought a pony. I think it was was it a pony, Anne? And um, not a single other, you know, call in the M process. Anyone talked about themselves and gave a real personality to to the calls, and that that for me really struck me. So. Um, they they moved very quickly to the to the top of our list in terms of being people that we could work with, and I was really not keen to 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 move to businesses that just put so many people into in, into the call. So um, so actually, I, I drew a triangle, and I, at at the top, I said home, like the team would be proud to be part of this home, um, the team would feel safe, etc. Because there were some unfortunate. You know, buyers that, that had some some pretty bad stories going around about how work ethics and things like that. Um, the next bit was growth. Can they can can this business help us grow? Um, and then the third bit on that triangle was how much how much you know value can they um, you know buy the business for for my investors. So that triangle made it really easy uh, easy to sort of whittle down um, who we should really engage with seriously on the process. So.
0: That's a, that's a good uh, framework. Home growth value. So, yeah. Art, from your perspective, like, what did you see in? <laughs> that's a weird question. What did you see in Sean? Like, why? Why <laughs> specifically? Why specifically Hutch and and um and you know why? Yeah, just just why? Why specifically Sean and and Hutch?
2: Yeah, I think first of all, it was really personal connection. Although we had a video call. Uh, as our first meeting. And it's super difficult to, yeah, build a connection and, and create energy in a call. But they were sitting very relaxed in their fancy office, as I remember, mm-hmm. and uh, stressed everyone by, by the COVID situation. But it was just a nice you know, chat. Was, um, for me, it's important first, when you meet people, you need to understand what drives them, what makes them tick, and it's about the people. So uh, they came across as a super passionate team. And I like that they went through this corporate experience. So he was absolutely clear in the beginning that he really hates these bullshit bingo games and corporate environments where you're working two years for something which never materializes. I think I share the same view. I'm also a bit traumatized by this and believe that there is a room for a different architecture where people have a different interaction. And, you know, it's much more fun. You can be more yourself. So that was really the first point that we could connect and then we invite him to Stockholm and it just has confirmed over beer that he's a cool dude and the team is great so that was very important second we like to focus on we call it genre mastery and uh, they want to build the most exciting and attractive automotive community uh, on mobile and that has definitely ticked the box that uh, we want teams to go two miles deep into one genre instead of showing just uh, going just broad Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's super high quality Polish games. I mean, you can see the background and also AAA development. Uh, and in the end, it's about great products. So that has attracted us, although it was a very competitive process. So I was first also a bit frustrated because you should not forget we were pretty, I would say still, in a bit of a yeah, passive mode for so two years, we looked into many companies, but we haven't made a move. So we were a bit the underdogs in this process.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, this is okay. So you're where, where Sean is looking at home growth and value. You guys are looking more for, um, <laughs> I wrote cool person, but probably like a, a people who you want to work with. Let's put it this way. And um, genre mastery deep versus broad. I a hundred percent attest to this um you know i I've, I've you know i've met hutch i've been at the hutch studio like everything is cars everything is all will always be about cars and you can see them pushing games faster and faster all kind of different racing games whether it's simulation whether it's uh arcade racing whether it's simulation racing but they they're just great at that and then quality of product you know even the, the sort of failed games at hutch were really really nice like i remember draft kings was amazing and then even though it didn't do well commercially as a software it was really really impressive so i understand um that part yeah.
2: but i mean uh, don't get me wrong i mean uh, the, i would say their passion and personality is reflected in the growth numbers but this is for me hygiene i mean we, we would not go for a distressed asset But you could see it. um, I haven't seen any company at this growth stage with such a high profitability and also top-line growth. So, um, sure, it was an important factor. But in the end, what we want to see is that the team went through this experience of failure. It's also important, as you just touched on the the other games. But having three games in growth mode, all three under the top 10, is quite uh, remarkable, I would say.
0: How do you, so I got two questions for, uh, this is actually for both of you. So how does MTG think about the portfolio? Because you mentioned genre mastery and you mentioned going like these studios that are focusing on on certain genre and going deep into it. So how do you look at the market and choose the genres you want to compete in and you want to be a part of? And secondly, you talked about games in the growth position, games with a potential for growth. So um what kind of support do you give these studios that you acquire They uh, for for growth because um like do you have some kind of essential services or what is what is the uh, the service that mtg does that enables these studios to grow further than they have been able to get before uh, the mtg acquisition
2: how do i start with the um with the question regarding the the genre focus i mean in our Games vertical strategy, we have clearly outlined that we focus on casual and mid-core games. So as these two legs um, of our games vertical. And then, sure, <clears throat> so we're looking for a potential synergy. So we have in the mid-core space, we have Inno games, focus on city builder strategy games. Um, and idly, we could leverage a strength in, in UA and was acquisition and helping other companies here to grow. So that's why we always involve the companies in the due diligence to, want to make sure that they connect and probably develop similar view on future growth potential. On the casual side with Congregate, we have laid the foundation focusing on idle games, CCGs. And um, ultimately, we're very keen to get our hands on potential evergreen franchises, like the Bloons IP from Ninja Kiwi. I think it's a great example. So, but these are two, let's say, main buckets. But then we're also a bit opportunistic when we see a team focusing on a certain genre and want to learn more. Um, but if the cultural fit is there and they believe in the same values, then it's much easier to orchestrate synergies. We would never build up huge... Central overheads and central services. So each company champions a certain game's discipline and helps other companies to grow to learn. That's a bit the the philosophy.
0: I've heard this the same same thing from Steelfront. I think I've heard the same thing from Embracer CEO as well. There are other companies that are acquirers that have a pretty pretty substantial central services that are offered as a s'more goes board to the uh, the acquired companies and they can pick and choose from different publishing services that can help them out. So uh, why is the um? what is the benefit of having these individual companies kind of learn themselves and and master something and then share individually between different studios versus having some kind of a centralized resource that the companies can can kind of come into and then pick whatever they, they want from there that they feel fits their needs
2: by having or building up centers of excellence that could also lead over time over the next years if it makes sense um, to some central services but for the next two three years and trying to stay lean also as a holding company i would foresee that the companies will champion these champion uh, centers of excellence and it's also important since each company is responsible for their own p and so that's why they need to sit on these resources. And I think it's a fine balance between having central support services and then all the know-how in the companies. So that's why we would, over the next years, definitely not build up a huge overhead. We are now 15 people in the holding, and they are more busy with a listed entity. And what we can do from the holding perspective is orchestrating the dialogue, the, um, the synergies. But this is, this is more coordination work, I would say.
0: Yeah, I I do have to say, Arnold, that this is a smart approach because it fits the type of a company that MTG or Stillfront or Embracer or EG7 are, as you said, holding companies. Uh, If you're building central resources without actually having your own games that you're building the resources for, you're kind of building tools for somebody who is in the other place, that is pretty dangerous and pretty expensive endeavor, uh, and, and I understand this, staying lean and having these centers of excellence. So basically the companies themselves built these resources. And if they're truly powerful and other companies want to use them, then you can grow them to something bigger. Am I correct with this?
2: Yeah, exactly. Because we always need the buy in from the companies. And we've seen the, this with, with other corporates. Once you start building huge overheads and uh, let's say UA agency or whatever development team, you need to keep them busy and then you automatically create different funds. So I think this rather leads to a huge corporate structure and that's not our game. And they are specialist, great talents across the portfolio. So you rather want to give them a stage to shine and and to probably help others to learn instead of building up uh, huge, huge
0: centers uh, and, and, and central services. Uh, Sean, from your perspective, like, since the acquisition, you guys have grown revenue quite, quite nicely. Formula One Clash is is up there. I think you renamed the game; uh, it's now Formula One Clash, which actually makes a ton of sense. Rebel Racing still holding on there, and then the um, your evergreen title, Top Drives. Top Drives is doing is doing oh. steady as well. So, can you talk a little bit about the uh, the growth as a part of MTG? Like, how have you been able to tap into the centers of excellence? And um, and just overall the experience how how compared to because there are three things that you're looking for it was the home the growth and the value now how have you been able to capitalize on the uh, the growth part
1: yeah so so through the process it was really obvious to us like one of the big areas we want to be better at is marketing from a, from a brand perspective in terms of the touchy feely like who is the audience who are we chasing. Um, what products are we providing to to sort of provide for a customer need and it became really apparent that like in their games um, in terms of ua their understanding of it their processes processes around it their tooling is just phenomenal um, like they've got these tools that just really empower communication artists or classic artists like how ha- how their work is, is improving or not improving in the marketplace. So for us, that was really exciting because there's a, like a real willingness and openness to help us um, be better at marketing and going back to Arne's point before, like when you start putting in big central services, that separation between the goals of that team, the centralized team versus your own team, like even in my own studio, I want my UA team to be closer to the games teams because they're so tightly linked together, um, and the learnings that you that you get from UA are so fascinating just from a from a product development point of view. So as soon as you kind of like break that away too much, I think I think people work in isolation. Um, so even at a company level, we want we want things to be tighter and closer. So I think that's what Arnd is trying, like trying to avoid. But, but what we have is we have like this, like awesome contacts throughout, like Kong, um, in their games, and then hopefully future M and A people. We were learning because we spent a lot of time on our own, and that was really interesting part about the M A process that we did for years. Like when you guys came and saw us when you were part of Rovio, we would ask you guys lots of questions and would actually learn from those meetings what's going on and what the market feeling is. And thinking about my my skills as a CEO for the business, I was just constantly out there talking to people and figuring out things and going back, going, hey, these guys are doing this, this is super interesting. And these guys are doing that. That's you know, I'm kind of drifting off the subject, I think, but the home value of learning and actually product management was also another area that, that we realized, oh, wow, there's all this other stuff we can be doing and integrating into our own business our way. Like Arne hasn't said, you need to be the inner games of, of, of the UK. It's like, what can you learn from these guys? What can, what can help your growth? And you know, the first, the first couple of months we post-sale, post like, like we, we weren't growing as fast as we wanted to. And that was a really interesting process because we got to see very quickly what our new partners were like in that and it was super helpful as opposed to being stressed it was like what are we doing what are we doing and we've had a biggest day uh, sorry biggest month ever in may which is which is really nice and uh, we're starting to see the fruits of the labor coming coming through and the um you know the relationships with uh with with the other the other teams is really really starting to pay off now so it, it is really weird when you go from a vc invested business you're in a bubble of your own and then suddenly you got all these big questions. Oh, yeah, what are you guys doing about this? What are you doing about that? And it's like super interesting answers. And like, oh, we're about to do this. And like, well, we did that. And this is what happened. It's like, okay, actually, we might change the way we do that. So it's actually a big relief. You feel like you've been in isolation for a long time.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I learned a ton of... I learned the ton the same way talking to everybody. And yeah. I learned a lot from from you as as well. Like when we were visiting Hutch and talking about your development process, what you've learned during the past, you know, almost a decade at that point. It was yeah. very interesting. It's fascinating things to to take out. I wanted to ask like more concrete questions, like how do you work directly with with Inno games and let's say Congregate? Uh, do you have a structured process where you have um syncs that are set for different different specialists during the time like the UI team syncs up uh, and the, the product team and so forth? Or is it more free-flowing where you just do the introductions between the discipline leads from different companies and then they are uh, in charge of keeping up that relationship and, and deepening it?
1: Yeah, um, it's definitely more free-flowing. I think the challenge I have as a leader is I will meet someone and find out something that's going on and I'll come up with some solution that I think is the brightest, greatest idea. But I never say, hey, go talk to this person and do this. I always say, hey, this person's talking about some interesting stuff. You need to meet with them. And then I let it flow and then I catch up with people. Because if you're, we've, all, we've got lots of problems to solve, um, but my team honestly has way better ways of solving them than I may think is the right way to solve them. So you kind of go, hey, we know we're trying to fix this thing. You should go speak to Christian Pern over here and in their games, and then and then you just sort of let them let them roll, catch up, find out what's going on, and and, and that's when the sort of sparks fly and people start to to solve solve these problems their way. So, I'm mean, I'm always quite cautious about mandating do X Y Z. I think Maria and And are also of that of you know of that style as well. So it it can sometimes feel like things are a little bit slower than you want them to be but it's because people are learning to get to know each other and learning about how each other working and stuff so it's it's a good thing yeah that was
0: basically my question like how do you facilitate this type of learning is it is it just one introduction or is it more structured so i understood it's more well there
1: there is structure in terms of us talking all the time so i i catch up with on once once a week um i catch up with all the other ceos once a month and those sorts of meetings are really interesting because we're talking about problems we've, we're having, we've had ways we're trying to solve things. Um, and like Kong, I'm learning loads from in terms of they're doing some really, really interesting things for the future that I think are um, going to be very relevant for most of our businesses. So so there's, there's a lot of, there is structure there, but in terms of your wider team, you're just pushing and nudging um, people to get on and chat and, you know, there's a MTG Slack channel where people are openly talking about different things. There's artists from my team meeting artists from other other companies, and you just don't want to. It's a bit like you take your kids to a to a party. You're trying to force them to play with other kids. You just (laughs) you 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 just got to let them flow and just just hope that you know relationships start forming. The other hard bit is all this is by video. So if we could all have like an MTG conference at some point, meet up and actually hang out that's where really cool things will happen as well it's like like the dinner table is 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 more valuable than the than the zoom calls for sure
2: yeah yeah 100 i think i feel believe the magic happens when you connect everyone so i think (laughs) what is important is sure we we are so we can't wait to to meet anywhere so uh sean and i are regularly checking okay where can you guys travel ah is it portugal No, portugal is gone Ah, sweden no sweden, sweden is no go germany not ready yet so this is this is probably a bit exceptional but to connect the right people through slack channels workshop formats update calls that's important because in the end the magic happens then on a bilateral level it's not us forcing them to work together. You need their buy-in, uh, and that's why also portfolio day, where you enjoy midsummer when you can three days, everyone in one location. That would be crucial uh, because video, as efficient as it is, something is missing, as we all know.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I wanted to ask, like, as your family grows, as you're acquiring more, you know, more companies, how are the uh, the existing founders existing, the, the Sean's and and the, uh, the heads of Inno and head of, head of congregate, like how do they choose new new uh, family members, how active they are in, in, in bringing those in?
2: You know, that's funny. I just yesterday night, a discussion with my wife, because, you know, we have two kids, yeah, two girls and a pony, as Sean mentioned, it's still there. And next door, our neighbors, they have 12 kids. Yeah. So, okay, Two sometimes feels a bit lonely, yeah, but 12, I mean, in winter you see the younger ones skateboarding in their shirts, no one really cares. So I think we wanna be, the question is what the right family size so you can take care of everyone, everyone knows each other. So I believe 12 is a bit too much for me and in terms of games virtual, as you can see now, now we have four uh, great family members here plus the Swedish parents. I would foresee that we will stay pretty selective. And, and um, in the end, if Sean or Hendrik would say, no, we don't want this new family member to join, that would be a no go for us. So that's why we have these reference calls quite extensively and make sure there's a two connection. If you have the bind from everyone, then happy to onboard someone. I mean, we have bought Nishiki because they are Kiwis and Sean <laughs> want them to join. I think there was a two connection. So if you talk to each of them, you should recognize, oh, they're
0: part of the MPG family. That that's a very important uh, signal. Sean, what do you look in the uh, in the new in the new members for the family? Like, what is a plus and what is a minus?
1: Really trying to understand them as people and seeing how passionate they are about their business and 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 where they're going. Exciting stuff happens when you're like, oh wow, they're doing stuff that we haven't quite done or learned, and oh wow, we've got some things we can help them with, and usually. It's a passion for for the product they've got, the the space they're in. And it gets exciting for me to see that same sort of passion that I have about, about racing that they have about their certain products and stuff. So and then there's obviously being successful, how much they care about their team, um, their values of their business, those sorts of things. And it's, you know, it's so much MA fails because people marry the wrong, you know, get into a relationship with the wrong wrong people for the wrong reasons and that and that's why i had my triangle of like home growth and 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 value so you really try to be fair about the process and make sure that like like companies don't don't get bought and then die afterwards it's like it happens a lot and it's um you know like m&a seems to have a pretty high failure rate right 70 to 90 percent
0: on average in in business as, as a whole. That's why I'm asking so many questions because even though in the current state, we see M&A as the, as, you know, the, the de facto growth factor in games, yeah. we haven't seen how it actually succeeds in the long term because even companies like Zynga that are absolutely fantastic at acquiring companies today before their first sort of a successful acquisition, I think they made like 33 that failed. Wow.
2: It's uh, a good point. I mean, this whole concept of building families or this new architecture is quite new. To be fair, the only thing we can say is, I think it's all about expectations. I mean, in big corporates, you have teams presenting a business plan for the next three years, and they tend to believe this all materialize exactly how they've presented it. So if you measure failure or success based on this business plan, it will, I think, in games always fail because it will turn out to be totally different. Yeah, like techno games. We thought also they would have launched by now three, four new successful mobile games. As a matter of fact, they are so successful in live ops that they were able to grow the business phenomenally well only through Forge of Empires. And now they have three new games uh, ready to scale. So, yeah, the only learning we can draw from gaming is
0: it will grow, but probably totally different than you would have anticipated. And that's why the team is such an important uh, aspect, as well as the history of of dealing with success and failures.
1: I've got this thing I like to do where I, I look at old board packs that I did like two years ago and I look at the plans I had there and then I'm like super excited about this board pack. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then every time you look back, it's like, man, that plan changed, but you've got to have a plan, right? But the plan changes. And actually that, that reference call I did within our games was super interesting because like, like, man, we've been trying for like all these years to create these new games and they've all failed, but I think we've actually finally cracked it. And I, through that process of talking to Hendrik, realizing he has been trying to do something with his team. It's been hard, but he's still got the belief from MTG in the leader of that business, even though they were having certain areas that they were having challenges with, which was new product. But then I also really picked up on how good they are at live ops and 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 we really wanted to master that and, and and get underneath what we could do better and faster. So it's always really good to hear the tough stories that these guys are going through so that you can see how the owner reacts to that. Um, and and we I think we were talking before about how much MA fails and I think that's because there are different I'd like if I was a different style of leader, there would definitely be different styles of 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 companies you go for. So you're really trying to find the right match
0: that's that's uh yeah that's i, I totally understand where you're coming from just giving the other uh, space of 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 not failing but but trying new things and and if there's a failure just that the uh, the owner understands that not every times you're not you're not succeeding every time nobody is so i, I totally understand that sort of a, like a mental safety to uh um, I,
1: I don't think there's a single games company in the world that truly knows how to launch a mega hit it's like like 100% process of figuring out this thing is going to be the best thing, biggest thing ever. The people that say they have are probably <laughs> likely to have a big, big failure coming up. So, <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, before, before talking,
0: like the last thing is like Hutch's plan for the future, I want to ask Arndt one more thing about the other companies that you guys acquire. And the last thing was, as you're going through these different companies, looking at the different genres as well as the founders and where they are at the moment and what are the plans for the future, is there a certain stage of the company that you're looking for? Like, is it is it, you know, like Congregate or Inno or Hutch that are oral, very established companies that have been in the business for a very long time and have, have truly built their genre mastery and have had their success and had their failures, but also clearly have potential for future growth? Are those the example companies that you're looking for?
2: I think they're definitely the role models. We, as I said earlier, we want the teams to having experienced failures and definitely not looking for a single game company. So a broader portfolio like, yeah, all our companies have. Um, and then a the future growth potential. So based on court analysis, we, it's very important that they show a clear growth potential. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much also, as you've described, growth companies, not distressed assets, and then a more balanced portfolio. I mean, there might be games driving 56% of the revenue in one portfolio, but the, the track record having launched successful games, that's, I think,
0: key. I understand. I understand. And, it's, and it's that, that separates a little bit from from some of your um, other you know, Stockholm rivals. Some of them are looking for more like um, evergreen Titles and others are just looking at a, at a very broad set of companies that, are, that have potential to launch, like one of them may launch something, but uh, that, that separates MTG uh, from others, as well as it allows you to be a little bit smaller in your family size if you have these uh, companies that have future growth potential, as well as uh, shown staying power over the decade. As a last question uh, for 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 Sean, like, what are the Hutch's plan for the future? What kind of um, what kind of racing games are you looking forward at making? And and what does what does Hutch look like in let's say three years? Five is probably too long, but let's talk about three.
1: Even three is quite long for me. I know, so. I know. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, the future is really bright. Uh, there are the biggest thing that I want want the business to do is to to continue to take risks obviously not lunatic risks but um it's the moments when you're in the red and you're not making money you tend to take quite big risks to get you out of out of that sort of that state and that's and that's that wonderful moment in startup phase where you're really pushing everything uh to be successful so i still want that mindset that um revenue is revenue is one measure but actually building games and a brand that people just know is the best place for, for car racing content and um, you know, the whole subject matter around cars and being a petrol head. So um, we've, got, we've got a number of games that we're working on at the moment. Um, really, really super interesting ideas. There's so much cool stuff going on in the industry around NFTs and the metaverse stuff that's, that's really starting to emerge. Um, so we're pretty we're pretty excited about different ways that we can we can approach the market. Um, marketing is obviously changing a lot as well with all the all the changes with ATT. Um, so really trying to figure out what that means for us in the long term. Um, and then also for me, like how to manage a team that's growing. Like we've you know, we've hired forty eight people during a pandemic. I've not met like hardly any of them. Um, so bringing that team back together and, and getting the, the juices flowing in terms of relationships building within the teams is, is, is really important to me. Um, for me, the, the the pandemic's been been really hard because like if you ask what my superpower is, it's probably the people person. I really lo- love to know and figure out how people think and talk, and um, it's quite hard to do via Zoom because if you get a call from me randomly. Um, people get kind of anxious. It's like, like, why is the boss calling me? Um, whereas I, I just used to spend a lot of time walking around the office and figuring out what what problems people have because I can fix them really quickly. Um, and I really sort of miss that sort of presence and being among people. So, um, yeah. So I think I think you'll continue to see like maybe like one ga- one new game a year coming out um, from us. Maybe maybe every two years. All depends. Um, but we want to take risks we want to do products that people have never seen before um, and really create new communities from from those games so that's the plans
0: yeah th- those are those are interesting topics so definitely for another podcast is welcoming all those 49 people face to face and, and I, I've seen you at the office you are you are truly a people person <laughs>
1: so um did you see me falling over on my skateboard was that i I don't think i'm but every time you were you were either at the office
0: or in front of the office smoking so that's uh, that's that's you you, least talking to somebody (laughs) yeah so yeah so you you were never alone at the office never in front of your (laughs) computer just just doing something you're always always walking always talking last question is like only like what platforms are you looking at? Only mobile, or are you thinking now that you know you're part of a of a bigger company and you can take more risks? Uh yeah, was- I
1: mean the, the the web experience of inner games is is pretty interesting. Um so we've we've been talking a lot about that, but I think it's really like a lot of our games are trending towards more strategic racing games, more thinking, um, rather than sort of action orientated. So um so, yeah, we're, we're, we're paying close attention to multi-screen. I mean, it blew everyone's minds when when um, Fortnite came out on, on every platform going. And I was thinking, there's no way it's going to work on a mobile. And it did. So, like, my whole judgment of, like, you know, that that potential has completely changed. And I think probably in five years, it will just be um, if, you know, games on, 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 on every screen. Um, yeah. The most interesting thing about mobile is... It really went from a transition of Facebook, great Facebook uh, gaming companies, moving into mobile being great games as a service companies, really. And I do think the the best mobile games companies are probably best at, at games as a service, and that's where things are heading. And and rounding out your team to be you know deliver great things for for their players. So
0: yeah, yeah, I, I for sure can see you know uh, top drives and Formula One clash on uh, on a browser. That should be. That's that's yeah. not that big of a leap,
1: Uh yeah. but doesn't deserve to be on a console. I don't know. It's a, it's a different kind of experience. Being yeah, on console,
0: console is maybe too much, but uh, a browser yeah. for sure for those type yeah. of management games. Yep. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for for opening up about MTG, talking about the strategy, talking about Hodge as an example, and and spending time. So I think there's a ton of learning for for people listening to it. Um, yeah, just thank you for for sharing so much.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having us. Great, thanks for being on your podcast.